opulent inventory our proud partners here on the show from iphones to macbooks to apple tv to apple watches to trade-ins and much more now you can have the apple product of your dreams visit opulent inventory on opulentinventory.com and on instagram my guy nash and guardy are the very best in the game to provide you the apple product of your dreams now let's get back to the show Welcome, welcome back, everyone, to the Sebi Podcast radio show streaming here only on WNSC Radio. My man and my ride partner, Michael Gray, at it. Man, would you believe, Mike, it is another year to the end of the year. We spent 360, actually 66 days. This year, this year is a leap year. Um, but what a year. What a year. We had some great times, great moments um, here on the show with a lot of our fans, a lot of our guests in particular some of our great ones. We took two weeks layoff, Mike. We did. Um, it's, it's been a minute since we've been back, but it, it's the best time to be on air. The end of 2021 is near, and we're looking ahead to 2022. Yeah, 100%. This was a year of lessons, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of trial and error. And um, it was, uh, 2020 was gonna, 2022 was going to be the year of you know uh, evolution uh, based off this year. So I'm looking forward to it, excited for it. And yeah, we took a lot of... A little bit of time off, it gave 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 the the sports world a chance, gave gave everything a chance to process and stuff like that. So now it's it's time it's time to get busy. It's time to get busy for sure. This is the season of giving. It is the season of giving. We've been getting a lot a lot of things that has happened, Mike. We've got lots to talk about. Bowl mania, bowl season is right around the corner. The NBA, um, it is uh, <laughs> it is a tight race right now between the Suns and the Warriors right now as the top two teams in the NBA and what they're doing at this point. We've we've also got NFL action when the playoffs are coming up. But I wanted to start off here, just the season of giving Mike, talk about Christmas and the holidays. Have you started your Christmas shopping yet, Mr. Michael Gray? No, sir. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Well, well, we wanted to start it off today with something a little bit unconventional, Mike. This is a little bit of a shocker to you. I know you wasn't prepared for this, but we're going to start off and talk about growing up, our favorite Christmas movies. What was our favorite Christmas movies growing up um, around this time? I'm going to go ahead and let you lead off. Favorite Christmas movies. Um, Favorite Christmas movies. I say I like This Christmas. This This Christmas. Christmas, This Christmas was a good one. I like that one. That was a good movie. This um, Christmas, this Christmas was a very good one. That, that was that, that, that was one of the top. And if I had to go with another one, um, to top that, I would say, hmm, that's a good one. Christmas, oh, this Christmas. Yeah, I, I would, I would just say this Christmas. 
Yeah, this I, Christmas. I can't really think of another one to top that. With, with Chris Brown and all those guys, right? Yeah, that, yeah, 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 that yeah. one. That was a good one. Um, that that was a good one. Uh, I, 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 um, there's a lot of good ones, man. I really don't know. I, I Home Alone, a lot of them. There was a few, a few of the Home Alones. Home, the first original one was good. Home Alone three was good. Um, yeah, yeah, man. There, to, you know what's crazy, Sebi? To me, I don't. I, to, as crazy as this might sound, and hear me out on this. I don't believe Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Really? The reason why I don't believe Home Alone is a Christmas movie because in order for it to be a Christmas movie to me, the setting in the movie and the, the situations that take place in the movie have to be something that regu- regulates around Christmas. Uh, the situation that happened at Home Alone is a situation that could happen anytime. Somebody could break in somebody's house at any time. Somebody could get on a flight at any, at any time and lose their kid. That's not, a, that's not something that's regulated to Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Right, 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 they, they right, just right, put a Christmas right, right. tree around it and, and they, made they it around just, the They just they just always post it on the Christmas. Yeah, That's they made it. Yeah, this Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You know what? So, crazy things, crazy things to think about. That's the only reason I didn't put Home Alone in there. Yep, yeah, yeah. One of the crazy ones. It's hard to talk about there for sure. But yes, let's go ahead and start off our day here today, Mike. We'll start off with the NBA, and all eyes are on Steph Curry, cementing himself, Mike, as the greatest shooter to ever live we saw ray allen we saw the great reggie miller do it on both ends of the floor but we haven't seen anything quite like this guy able to not only shoot off the ball like ray and steph uh ray and and reggie excuse me but also off the dribble the things that he can do with his elite ball handling skills and then his ability to evade defenders and shoot threes this guy is unbelievable mike he's been he's been He's been everything that I think the Warriors wanted. Now, early on in his career, I don't know if you remember, Mike, the the, the Stephen Jackson, Matt Barnes, and Monte Ellis days. Absolutely. Steph was supposed to be that guy, but a lot of injuries. Um, <laughs> people started to say that he had fragile ankles. His ankles was made out of glass. And then, but <laughs> since 2012, this guy has, I mean, I mean, absolutely tore up, tore it up since then. Um, he broke Ray Allen's record in 788 games. Put that into perspective. It took Ray almost 1,300 games. Mm-hmm. So he, 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 and crazy to think, like, if he wasn't hurt last year, he would have broken the record earlier than that. So this is how special this guy has been. Um, I just want to take a, a moment to kind of shower Steph with his flowers and, and, and notice how great of, of a player that he really is historically. <laughs> Steph Curry will go down as one of the not only just the greatest, he's 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 the greatest shooter of all time. And it's crazy, Sebi, because you know, when we have conversations about different categories of who we feel like is the greatest this, whether it's the GOAT, the overall greatest player, who's the 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 best has the best handles, who's the best scorer, who's the best defender, who's the, the whatever category you have, there's always um a, a line of dialogue. There's always a open there's always open dialogue depending on who you like, but there's semantics depending on, you know, opinion based and, you know, who, 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 who you like. But when it comes to the greatest shooter of all time, that's one category where I believe everybody that's a fan of basketball can unanimously agree. Unanimously. There's nobody that's yeah. coming. That's, that's Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. And we leave it at that. I mean, it really is that simple because some of the stuff that we've seen Steph Curry do on the basketball court as far as shooting the basketball, we've never seen before. There's guys that can do do it. He he can do it, catch and shoot. He can do it off the dribble. He is 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 no limitations. His range is 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 limitless, and yeah. it's just special. It's special to watch. And one and one thing I will say is this about Steph, is that 
we know how great he is as a three-point shooter, but the other facets of his game and seeing how he's worked on it, he's mastered it to this point. He's become a better, much better defender over time. He's become um he he he's a lazy passer at times, but his passing can can be um can, can be up there with some of the best some of the best of them when it when he's on point and locked in. So it's just other parts of his game, his ability to finish at the rim. He's one of the best finishers at the rim, uh, opposite Kyrie probably in the league. It's just it's his overall skill set outside of three point shooting. Seeing how he's mastered that over time and really perfected his IQ and perfected his game. And his unselfishness, unselfishness as a player, Sebi. How many players do you know coming off of two straight MVP seasons knowing that a player like Kevin Durant is coming to your team and literally take a back seat, have the um, confidence within yourself and the self, you know, just, just the security within yourself to be able to take that back seat knowing that he's the guy. In order for us to really get to that point, I got to let you know he's the best player on the team. Yes, it's my team but we're going to work this out and really take that back seat and make Kevin Durant feel like, you know, feel comfortable out there. It takes a certain type of, a special type of brother that comes from a certain background. And Steph Curry comes from that background and that cloth of being comfortable within. And that's, that's why they were able to work when Kevin Durant got there. So hats off to Steph Curry. He's shown that he can, he can dominate his role in multiple facets, whether he's the leader, whether he's the second best player on the team. It's just, it's, it's no limitation to his greatness. So hats off to Steph Curry. Absolutely, man. And you made a good point, you know, there's no question that anybody you ask now, <laughs> Steph is the greatest shooter ever. You talk about maybe the best dunkers ever. You get yeah. Um, you get the highlight reel. You might get number eight Kobe. You might get some MJ. You might get some Vince Carter. You right. might get you know Sean some, Kemp. Uh, yeah, you know, Sean Kemp. Exactly. Know. We can even go date back um uh, uh, uh more than that, right? We, yeah, we can yeah. go to um the highlight reel from Atlanta. Um, Dominique Wilkins, <laughs> Dominique, you know yep. what I'm saying? Dr. J. And, yep. and, and and maybe you talk about the best handles ever. You got Kyrie in that conversation, Isaiah mm -hmm. Thomas. You've got Rod Strickland. Um, you've got AI and yeah. those guys. But there's no question when it comes to the category of shooting, Steph, it, by far, is the greatest shooter ever. And, and Mike, he's had four years of over 400 threes. Uh, throughout his career, breaking his own record. <laughs> that should tell you how, how mm -hmm. extraordinary this guy is. And, 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 and it's just unbelievable for him to watch. And speaking of unbelievable for him to watch, the Warriors as a unit, Mike, has been very, very talented and very, very fun to watch this season. They lead the NBA uh, half a game back, of course, half a game up, excuse me, on the Phoenix Suns, who's right behind their tails. Um, for that number one seed in the Western Conference and that number one record overall in the association here. So what have you seen in the Warriors as they have this back and forth race with the uh, um, Phoenix Suns where it's been news that Klay Thompson is on set to come back as well? What I'm seeing is a team that's very deep, a team that relies not, not only on Steph Curry but on the other pieces around them. And they they have the confidence within because they, they've been um, – the system that Steve Kerr has around this team that's built built obviously around Steph, it's allowing these guys to be confident in the shots that they take, move the ball around and and just find the open guy. There's very this is a very unselfish ball club, but it's a very deep ball club as well that, that that's confident in, in, in what they bring to the table. So what I'm saying from this Warriors team is lockdown defense, their ability to switch everything. They have so much length on the perimeter and on the backside, even without the uh you know, the the lack of consistent bigs, they're able to spell for that because of their length. And their their ability to switch. So it's um until they get Wiseman back, until they get Klay Thompson back, 
they've done a great job so far, just just playing as a team collectively, getting the confidence of the group group high, and then uh, you know once one once Clay gets back, they'll be able to ingratiate him. If Wiseman is able to come back this year, because it's, it's it's not looking too promising, uh, it's, it's gonna it's gonna be it, that that's gonna be key because big man wise that they they're gonna struggle down the line if they can't get a quality big man to offset everything else that they bring to the table. But however, Absolutely. yeah, I, that's the one weakness I can see in the Warriors as well, Mike. Yeah. yeah however, however, this team this team is is looking is looking very solid. Now this is one problem I do have with the Warriors, Harry, that I think could potentially haunt them later on down the season if teams start to continuously figure it out. The Warriors on the road have a trouble shooting the three-point as a team on the road outside of Steph Curry. Outside of Steph Curry, this team struggles. I, I, they, they, they really struggle shooting the three-ball on the road and, and, and gathering shots outside of Steph Curry. So I, that's why I feel like Clay coming back is going to be so important because he's going to be able to spell offensively for some of the mishaps right there, and, and it's going to add even more depth to what we see. But I've noticed that on the road, they struggle shooting the ball outside of Steph. Um. And th- th- that's something that can come and haunt them against uh, better teams. Absolutely. Let's talk about the Phoenix Suns here, who they got a huge road win in Portland on uh, Wednesday, on Tuesday night, excuse me, Chris Paul and company picking off where they left off, Mike, last year in the NBA Finals on a second night of a back-to-back, losing to the Clippers, traveling to Portland against Damian Lillard in overtime, 24 points, 14 assists, doing what he does best, Mike. Chris Paul, the first player in NBA history, 20K points, 10K assists, and also 5K steals. There, there's nothing quite like that. I mean, the guy does it on both ends of the floor, an elite floor general, and they have somebody coming back too, Mike, a secret weapon. That's Devin Booker, their leading scorer and their main catalyst who averages almost 26 points per game. So Phoenix as well, you get Klay Thompson back for Golden State and you get Devin Booker off of a – uh, of an injury that have him missing pieces. I think this is going to be a tug-of-war, Mike. Tug-of-war race, back and forth, back and forth. A tug-of-war race to the Western Conference Finals because I think this is what Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely is um, yeah, an, an interesting matchup when you look at the two teams and how how how, how they fit together and the, the anticipation of what a seven-game series might be. The Phoenix Suns are, are an interesting team because they're in that sweet, they're in that interesting space of a young core, but with a veteran leadership, uh, not only um, from the coaching staff but on the court as well. When you have somebody like Chris Paul, like it, imagine this team without Chris Paul. Sebi, imagine if Chris Paul would have left this team after in the offseason after going to the finals. I feel like Cleveland, uh, excuse me, Phoenix would have struggled because they being able to get up after losing the finals and have to come right back that following season, you need a certain type of leader in that locker room from a player's perspective that's going to be able to hold the hold everybody accountable to continue to get up and let's go let's get let's get this money. Chris Paul is that guy he's always been that guy in the locker room that's going to hold whole brothers accountable demand the best out of them even even when they 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 probably don't see it themselves so that that's why the the phoenix suns have have looked the way they are right now because they're they're not they're, they haven't taken their foot off the gas from last year. They're hungry from last year, and having so having a leader like Chris Paul, Devin Booker playing sensational the way he was before the injury, uh, just some of the additions that they made. They actually got deeper, adding a Landry Shaman who's been playing good basketball with them. We know what DeAndre Ayton brings to the table. Monty Williams is putting these guys in certain positions. We'll see um, later on down the line how they match up against the healthier squads in the Western Conference this year. It's going to be interesting to see, but. Right now, the Phoenix Suns look very good, and they're right up there with some of the top teams, not only in the West, but in the NBA. 
Absolutely, absolutely, there for sure. The guy that you really love coming out of Oklahoma, who had a great career in his last two seasons, Austin Reeves, Mike. You talk about the Lakers. This is like this is the thing that the Lakers needed, right? Everybody knows if you're gonna build a team around LeBron James, the the older that LeBron James get, it, it's 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 been told in the history books and it's facts. In his younger years, he was dominant, very athletic, but the older he gets, the older his style of play is getting farther and farther away from the basket, right? Yeah. Farther away from the basket. So you saw it in Cleveland where they're surrounding him with shooters and Kyrie Irving, right? You saw it here early on in, in, in Miami as well with Ray Allen, Mike Miller, and those guys. And then now you've seen it with, with the Lakers. What they haven't had a good job in, and he hasn't been successful is you haven't surrounded him with the pieces. They go out and get Wayne Ellington. And they have a guy now in Austin Reeves who hopefully they can hope to be develop a guy that he can be a spot-up shooter on the outside for a LeBron James that when he kicks out or when Russell Westbrook kicks out, they can have. The, the Los Angeles Lakers, Mike, uh, uh, Mike, are one of the poorest teams in the NBA in three-point shooting, right? We know LeBron can make some. We know that Russell Westbrook is horrendous. We know that Anthony Davis, I don't know what happened from 2020 NBA Finals, Anthony Davis, to the last two seasons. He's been horrendous. They need shooting. If Austin Reeves, a guy that you really love coming out of Oklahoma, can be that guy for them, I think that perhaps that might be good for them as they continue to gel and they continue to gel and get back in, in their chemistry going on a three-game win streak. And they're playing with a different pep in the step. If you were, you know, like you said, over the last five games or so, they 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 you, you see their energy um, on both sides of the ball. Just, just their joke coming into the to the arena. They they're playing with a different energy. They they're passing the ball more crisp now. They're they're fluid with, with their game plan, and you you just you see you're seeing it spill out on the court. I mean, um, it was a tough competitive basketball game yesterday, and they found a way to pull it out just by unselfish basketball and and, and, make, and making a way. It was a back and forth tussle between the Dallas Mavericks, and um, they, they definitely made it tough on them. The, Lake, the Lakers are one of those things. Usually, but, and you see it with these guys. Uh, you're starting to see the, the three-point shooting, the confidence in the three-point shooting starting to come back. Guys like Wayne Ellington, Avery Bradley, Austin Reeves, like you said, Kent Bazemore. These guys are starting to get more and more confident from the three-point shot, and it's because LeBron, Westbrook are, are, are all being more assertive, get into the basket, and it's creating these wide-open shots for these guys on the outside. And LeBron and, and and LeBron is knocking down a little bit more of his threes. He's getting three happy at unnecessary times when he should be getting to the basket. However, it, it, there are there are there are more times than that that he has been making his threes uh, over the last few games or so. So, but it, this team with this team right here, you're starting to see them 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 click a little bit as far as just getting a little bit of chemistry flowing with the team they have with with the roster and pieces that they have now. Now, I do expect the Lakers to make a big trade move before it's all said and done and to reconstruct this roster before the trade deadline is concerned. But right now, they're working with the pieces that they have. They're formulating, seeing who they want to keep, who they want to, you know, who they want to uh, uh, ship out of here. So it, it's just it, all, all of it is a test run right now. All of it is a test run. And right now, they're starting to gel a little bit as, as we hit that final stretch before the trade deadline comes up. Absolutely. It's all trial and error for the Lakers right now. A lot of noise going on is Russell Westbrook and the LeBron James experiment coming to an end before <laughs> the trading deadline. What's your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all, you know, you know how it is. It's, it's, Laker, it's, it's a combination of a few things. One is a combination of Laker Nation. Laker Nation is very impatient when it comes to winning and success. They, they want to see product now, and they, they, they clearly see with this team, especially early on, they see some signs of a few things that even if, 
they, they were to keep this roster together and, and they were to find a way to, you know, win some games and stuff like that. They don't see a, a, a competitive advantage down the stretch against some of the other teams in the NBA with this current roster. That they feel like they're at a disadvantage with this current roster the way it's constructed based on the competitive nature of the rest of the league. So they're looking at it from that standpoint, the, the perspective of is this Russell Westbrook versus LeBron James experiment working so far? Right now it's up in the air because we've seen a struggle. We've seen glimpses of what it could be, but there's no sign of consistency so far. So it's leaving Laker, Laker fans and Laker Nation impatient. And we all know what happens when Laker Nation gets impatient. They, they want to make a move ASAP. So I do expect them to make a move, whether they make a move to move Westbrook for another point guard or move some other pieces to fit what they already have as far as some other shooting. We'll see. We'll see what move they decide to make later on later on down the line. However, I do fully expect one thousand percent for them to make a move. But um, I'm just not too sure if they're going to move Westbrook or not because it really comes down to what what the king has to say. Because we know how much Russell Westbrook just got there. It's so early, so fresh. Do they want to pull the plug right now, or do they want to wait this thing out and see how 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 good? Can this chemistry between the three stars really work? Absolutely, yeah. They invested a lot of Russell West. Yeah, they yeah. a lot of picks away, a lot of players away. We'll see what happens, of course, with a lot of Los Angeles Lakers always in the limelight of the NBA. A team that's on an eight-game winning streak, Mike, the Utah Jazz. Wow, they found their spark all of a sudden. Last eight games. Here's a telling story: what the Utah Utah Jazz does best, right? <laughs> that made them special last year is. They've made 23s the last eight games. 23s they've made. Uh, anytime you hit 23s, you're in a good shape. Last time I checked, 20 times 3 is 60. So that's 60 points of their buckets are three-point shots. All of a sudden, the bench, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles are starting to step up. You see the continuity between uh, Royce O'Neal and Donovan Mitchell doing what he does best. Gobert being a menace on the glass. The Utah Jazz again. What I thought last year, I think they're going to be again a force to reckon with this year, especially with that home court advantage that they have in Utah on altitude. If you pay attention to the Utah Jazz over the last two years, they have really stolen a, play, a page out of the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors playbook and, and really ran with that system because that system of three-point shooting and, and, and surrounding your superstar with, three, with, with knockdown shooters has worked, has worked tremendous for this team in the regular season. And that's been the biggest key for the Utah Jazz. Is we've seen this before in the regular season. And I feel like that's part of the reason. On top of the fact that it's Utah and a lot of um, – we, uh, we don't get to see a lot of Utah Utah games on the East Coast. On, on top of the fact that it's Utah and the fact that we've seen this from them in the regular season before, I think that has a lot to do with why they're flying under the radar because a lot of fans are, you know, they've seen this from them in the regular season plenty of times. This team is built, you know, to dominate in the regular season, and they've, they've done that for years and years and years. They want to see this team make that next step and step in the playoffs to take them more serious than that, the same way we felt about Milwaukee before they finally got their chip last year. So, this 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 Utah team, what they're doing right now is sensational. Sebi, I actually got a chance to go to the Jazz versus Wizards game in DC on Saturday, this past Saturday. And I'll tell you what, they they put they put one on my Wizards. I mean, the, the second half it wasn't even close. They really broke away from us. The depth of this team is really is really was very scary because you got a Jordan Clarkson who was a six man of the year, Bogdanovich uh, coming off ball and doing this thing, Joe Ingles making plays. You got Donovan Mitchell, who's playing out of this world. Sebi, I'm, 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 I'm really this close from saying Donovan Mitchell is a borderline superstar. 
He's not a superstar, but he's he's on one of those perennial all stars. He's, he's, he's very close. He's very close. Yeah. I mean, watching this guy live in person, I mean, he really is just special. He makes it look effortless, mm -hmm. but it's fun to watch. I mean, the step backs, the 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 turnaround jumpers, the cross, the fadeaways, the mm -hmm. uh, 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 his entire repertoire, the athleticism, Mike. Yeah, the ability to manipulate the pick and roll and and, and use go bear in that and go up go up top. This guy is, is he's special, man. He's 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 a, he's a very special player, and he shows up in the playoffs. This Utah Jazz team yeah. um, is going to be interesting to see what requisite help he gets in the playoffs, as far as what the others do around him. I know what I'm getting from Donovan every season, but are there are his other? Is he going to have the requisite help against the those tough teams in the Western Conference? You know, when it's all said and done. Yeah, definitely. There for sure. The, I, I agree with you, Mike. Utah will be judged what they do in the postseason, not in the regular season. It's hard to game plan for Utah in the regular season. They're just too oh, yeah. deep, too too hostile. You're playing against two units, Mike, two five-star units, um, and, and it's just tough. But in the postseason, when teams get a chance to actually game plan for your seven-game series and they take away Donovan, where will that second and third option yeah. That will be the discussion uh, for the Utah Jazz there as well. That's going to be keys for us to, to watch out there for you, sure. And that wraps up our NBA action, Mike, for now. But for when we come back, we're going to go ahead and switch our gears to the NFL. A lot of things coming up. Are the Chiefs back? <laughs> Scary hours for the lead. The Seven Podcast Radio Show. Back here on WNSC Radio. And we are back here on the second segment here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, the NFL, Mike. Lots of things is going on in these past two weeks. The Kansas City Chiefs, Mike, all of a sudden, remember when they were two and four, or three and four, excuse me, they've won six straight. All of a sudden, now they're nine and four, third seed in the AFC. They overlap the Baltimore Ravens, who are struggling right now, decimated with injuries. But Man, oh, man, are the Chiefs back, Mike? They put up 48 on the Raiders, and that's something that you just don't do, Mike. You, you just don't do that. If you're the Raiders, you're going against enemy territory. We know that the Raiders and the Chiefs, long, long lifetime rivals. They don't like each other. You don't go to another team uh, uh, midfield and start dancing and start hollering and start – you know, just joking around. You're poking a bear. You're poking a bear because I, I, they must not know, Mike, on the opposite field, opposite side of their sideline, that's 15 that you're going against, right? That's that's Eric B. Enemy. That is also Andy Reid that you're going up against. That's the last thing you want to do, Mike. Added fuel, added motivation for them. They put up 48 burgers on them in Barbecue City in Kansas City, and it has a lot of people asking, are the Chiefs are really back? Are the Chiefs are back, Mike? So, Mike, Mike, I ask you, are the Kansas City Chiefs really back? I believe I believe they are. 
So I believe they are. I believe they get, they're getting back into form. They're working their way back into form. They're not fully where they want to be, but they're working their way back, and they're in the right direction, 1,000%. I do believe that because this team has gotten better on all facets of the ball. Early on, we saw when they went against Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers, we overlooked that win. They, they had beat the Oakland Raiders team on the road when they around the time Gruden was gone. We overlooked that win. Uh, it was it, it wasn't really until they beat the Cowboys at home and the way that defense looked against the number one rated offense at the time where we started to give them the respect that they deserved. And then over time they started, they just kept building off that win after win after win, just kept piling them up and looking dominant in the process. This this team, Sevy, is a team that's championship experienced. They, had, they know what it takes to go through the grind of a regular season and go through those tough stretches in the playoffs. So now they're at the point now where they're coming into their own. They realize that they they started off slow, and now they're flexing their muscle on teams and really starting to uh, send a message. This is message sending time for the Kansas City Chiefs that we're 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 here. We're here to compete. We're here to come back. We did not forget what Tampa Bay did to us in the Super Bowl, and we're hungry now. We had our little mini slump early in the season. Now we're coming in locked in. They look more locked in. Um, early on in the season, I, t- I touched on how how Kansas City. I feel like they were taking teams for granted, and, and they were a little bit arrogant, in. Mike. Yeah, very arrogant, very arrogant. They they were starting off slow, and then having to work their way back. And granted, they would come back in these games and make them very competitive, but they would end up losing in the process because of the slow start. So once they cleaned up that act, that that's when you saw a different team. And Melvin Ingram has been huge for this defense, along with the players that they already have. He's the, he's almost like the uh, the icing on the cake for the completion of this entire team. So. I'm looking forward to seeing how Kansas City finishes it out. They they should they should have to go on the road this year, which would be a different a different dynamic for this team. And I feel like if they have to go on the road in the playoffs, that'll uh, this is the right time for them to do it based on the experience that they've had in the past. Absolutely, absolutely, that for sure. Once it was the Patriots, who was the most dangerous team in the AFC. Now I, it has to be the Kansas City Chiefs sitting at the three seed. And speaking of the Patriots, Mike. All signs say that the road to Foxborough will be through the AFC the way that it stands. They have one of the easiest schedules remaining. The Colts this week, which is really tough, another divisional matchup with the Buffalo Bills next week. But to end the year, they ended off with the Jacksonville Jaguars. We know that they are in tank for <laughs> for anybody that's number one overall pick and also the Dolphins. So um, it, for from the Patriots' perspective, Mike, Knowing that Kansas City's getting red hot, there's more pressure on them to continue to win games off their bye week and stuff. And so, uh, can we anticipate at this point a rematch of two years ago AFC title game in New England versus the, the Kansas City Chiefs, Mike? That's a high possibility, especially the way both teams are playing right now. It's a high possibility. Uh, I'm not sleeping on the New England Patriots. They just won a game where their quarterback completed two out of three passes, and they ran the football and dominated the game up front with the offensive line. There's nothing I can rule out with this New England Patriots team and what Bill Belichick might bring on any given Sunday. So I, 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 love, I love what I'm seeing from both teams. It would be a very fluid, interesting, uh, well-rounded football game if that, that, that was to come to place. And um, it's just it's, it's, at, at this point in time, Sebi, it's, it's one of those situations where you look at the teams in the AFC or the NFC, but especially the AFC, you look at who's starting to round in the form and, and who's peaking at the right time. The question I have for the Patriots, did they peak too early? I want to see how they finish out the rest of the season and the momentum that they have 
going into the playoffs because they started this seven this seven game winning streak very early, and will they continue that momentum? And is it the, is it the right uh, build up leading into the playoffs? So we will we'll see how we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, definitely there for sure. The Patriots eight and one against AFC opponents this year. That is the reason why they are the number one seed thus far in the AFC. And speaking of the Chiefs, right, we got a bar burner tonight. Justin Herbert hosting Patrick Mahomes. This second time that they meet this year. This is for first place in the AFC West. Don't overlook the Chargers, Mike. We know how a gunslinger of a mentality that Justin Herbert guy. We don't even have to ask what he did to your New York football giants this past Sunday. But mm. we have 15 versus 10. That's Patrick Mahomes versus Justin Herbert in L.A. this time. We know the Chargers went into Arrowhead and beat him the first time. Now this is the second matchup in that division. Your early thoughts on what we should expect this evening. Yeah, we're going to expect a, a very good football game. I do expect it to be a combination of some scoring at times, but it's going to be it's going to be a, a much better played defensive game than I think uh, anticipated coming in. These two gunslinging, high-flying quarterbacks, um, we expect a shootout, but I, I do expect it to be a little bit more defense played in this game based on how, how good Kansas City's defense has been playing lately. And also, I feel like uh, the L.A. Chargers defense is going to step up to the challenge and make some plays and really give their team a chance to win. So I expect a very competitive ball game. Uh, expect the best version of the Chargers because they know this is a huge game. They, they want to they get the opportunity to sweep them. But also, I expect the best version of Kansas City as well because they know that this L.A. team came into their house and beat them in overtime early on in the season, of week four, I believe. So they, they, they have that bad taste in their mouth. They know they're rolling right now, so they're going to give the Chargers everything they got. I, I anticipate both teams to come out with their best on this Thursday night. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely there for sure. And speaking of teams that are peaking, the Bengals and also the uh, Chargers are some of those teams. But some of the teams that are failing in the AFC, Mike, Buffalo, who had high praise, they, they said that if not now, never, especially how the Chiefs were playing early on in the season people thought that this is this is this is buffalo's moment if they ever were to get into the super bowl it'd be this year and the baltimore ravens as well but decimated with injuries no team this year mike has been plagued with more injuries than the baltimore ravens 16 nope. different players mike that includes lamar jackson and in buffalo what happened to them mike this is a buffalo team that was once the two seed they're right now in the seventh spot with the Steelers and the Raiders and some of the other teams outside looking in in the hunt, chasing them. So these two teams look towards the trajectory of going south when they should be going up. Yeah, when I look at the Buffalo Bills, I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm looking at a team that's very undisciplined when it, when it comes to just just how their quarterback plays. Their quarterback plays very um, careless at times, and that carelessness rubs off on the team, and you can see it. How undisciplined this team can be at times when they turn the ball over, when they when they get uh, 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 ill-advised penalties at wrong times that stop drives or that continue drives on for the other team. It's just a very undisciplined ball club, and they're not capitalizing on the opportunities. And teams are starting to realize that they find they 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 almost can only win one way. They're they're very predictable when it comes to how they win because offensively they're always looking for the big play, and 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 Dinkin and Duncan. And I don't say Dinkin and Duncan, but managing the draft. Managing, managing the game is not their MO, and there's something that they're not very good at. So teams are starting to figure that out, 
and 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 they've um they've been losing games because of it. Now, when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens, that's a, it's an entirely different situation. So they they've been dealing with injuries and they've been played with the injury bug since since before the season even started. They came into the season with with three running backs that all tore the ACL. Uh, all all their starting three running backs. So it's it's uh, it's been an injuries injury riddle season for them. They've been able to overcome it because they are a disciplined ball, ball club. They have a next man up mentality, and it's something that that's not new in Baltimore culture. They've they found a way to keep themselves in games and win games despite having a backup quarterback, despite having you know just different positions out and stuff like that. It's just uh, they're going to a, do a tough stretch. Right before Lamar got hurt, he was he wasn't playing his best football, so so it, it it hurt him to some degree. But those injuries do catch up to you, and against certain against good teams when they start to figure you out, that's that that that's when it plays you the most. But however, John Harbaugh hasn't lost his locker room, and this team is still fighting hard, competing every Sunday. It's just uh certain it's just because of the injuries, it's starting to catch up to him with the competitiveness of the league. Yeah, definitely. That's for sure. Let's go and look at the NFC side of the picture, Mike. Rams and the Cardinals. That really shook up the <laughs> NFC playoff picture. Uh, the Los Angeles got a huge win in the desert, Mike. I mean, huge, huge win. It's a guy, Matthew Stafford, that I've been critical on. I know in big-time games, he doesn't really show up, hasn't never won a playoff game. This is the reason why he came to L.A. to kind of shut up the naysayers like myself. Uh, so I'm very critical on him. And his playing, and this is a guy like Matthew Stafford, Mike, who's never won a game in week 17 ever in his career. Mm-hmm. You look at Andy Troy, he's never won a game in week 17. Had a chance wow. in Green Bay to win, to win the division, and Rodgers snapped that. I mean, this is a guy that's been critical. But that was probably one of the biggest games in his career, Mike. Three touchdowns, one to Van Jefferson on a deep ball, one to OBJ, and, of course, the all-pro that we can go ahead and say, Mike, uh, Cooper Cup's an all-pro. He's going for the triple crown right now. Leaders in receptions, leaders in touchdown receptions, and leaders in yards. He, he's mm-hmm. getting the triple crown right now. Three touchdowns by Matthew Stafford. They got a huge road win in the defense without Jalen Ramsey. Aaron Donald, the guy that I think that if he were to retire tomorrow, would go down as the best interior lineman that I've ever seen. And Aaron Donald, three sacks on, on Kyler Murray. And, and, and they got a huge, huge road game in that NFC West. That is the best division in football that is getting dicey because the 49ers all of a sudden are on the sixth spot. Here's, here's something I can't understand, Mike, with Arizona. I think Arizona is, is really good. Um, they're they're going to be a force to reckon with in the playoffs. But something I can't understand, they're 7-0 and on the road, right? 7-0 on the road, but they're only 2-4 and four at home. That is the most confusing thing that I, I want I got to say. three, excuse me, two and three at home. They, they've won 10 games, right? Seven and on the road, but they're only two and three at home. The most confusing thing that I, I won't ever understand about this team, but it did shape up the NFC. What did we see from you? What did you learn from that ball game, Mike? Well, well quick, quickly to address your point before I, before I get into the Rams and the Cardinals, to, to quickly address your point about why this team is seven and one uh, on the road? And, seven and zero. Oh. Seven, seven and zero. Oh, excuse me, on the road. And what would you say? Two and two and three. At two, home. Two and three at home. It's uh, it's very simple to me. Whenever Arizona plays at home, it's almost a new. It's a neutral playing site. It's almost like a home game for the road team. If you if you really look at it, you know they they their 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 fans, the opposing team, whoever comes to Arizona, they usually travel very well. And it's usually a neutral site. Sometimes there's more opposing team fans in the stadium than there are Cardinal fans, depending on the team that comes in. 
So when they go on the road, it's easier to lock in more because they have the team and the type of players that that, that feed off that energy and really lock in on, on road games. And it's, 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 it seems like it's they're much more comfortable playing on the road. If you watch them on the road, so they 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 are they almost average average double digit wins on the road. Yeah. Um, they average thirty as, you know, plus margin the road of victory. They put up a lot of points on the road. Yeah, it's, it's it's much easier it's much easier for them to lock in on the road than at home because of the the neutral site that they always seem to find themselves into when they're in Arizona. And but 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 to address the total point about the two teams, the Rams. This was the most complete football game that I've seen them play all season, as far as all three phases of the ball being locked in together. Matthew Stafford played a great game. The receivers and the guys stepped up. The offensive line was on point. Uh, the defense made plays. Now you knew it was going to be tough for them to contain or to stop this Arizona team, but they found a way to get turnovers when they needed to, get critical stops on fourth down and deep drives when they needed to, and they found a way to make it to get it done. And they got pressure on the quarterback. So the Rams man had, had a comp- total complete game, and they looked good. Now for the Cardinals, the Cardinals to me, Sebi, as far as you know, total package, they look like they they have all the potential to be the the best all around total package team in football to me. The thing that sets them away, the thing that gets them in trouble is what you saw on Sunday. It's not only turnovers, but just the, the, the ill-advised turnovers. I mean, the turnovers at the wrong times. I mean, they, they, they almost couldn't punt the ball the entire game. This is an offense that you rarely see them punt the ball. They rarely get three and outs. They rarely get stopped on third down. They continue drives, and they have so many weapons. They keep drives going. They usually beat themselves. And that's exactly what happened in this game if you look at it from the Arizona perspective. They were moving the ball in the Rams all game long. But when, when they usually – in their three losses, usually when they find themselves in the biggest trouble is when Kyler Murray is forcing it and um, they get behind and they have to – you know, he feels like he has to overexert himself and make the biggest plays. And he might force it in some tighter windows and then and that usually gets him in trouble. So if uh, the formula – that's the formula for success against this Arizona team because any other situation – it's just so hard. They're just such a deep team. It's so hard to beat them. You have to get up on them and you have to force turnovers, especially in crucial moments. Yeah, definitely, definitely there for sure about the Arizona Cardinals. They've got all the skill position players they need. James Conner, <laughs> 16 touchdowns this year. Man. Jonathan Taylor of the Colts have more. He's been special this year. Zach Ertz, A.J. Green. Now they've lost DeAndre Hopkins, who is a big piece, Mike. They've lost him for the regular remaining of the regular season. We'll see if his status about the postseason, but they've surrounded him with everybody that he needs to be successful under Cliff Kingsbury's uh, offense there for sure. Now we look at some of the top teams in the NFC, Mike. It's a three-man race for the top seed in the NFC, the number one seed. Right now the Green Bay Packers have it, arguably the most complete team in football. Defensively, offensively, we know what Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are. Defensively, they've been stout and special teams as well. And then you got the reigning champions at this number two seed, followed by the Cardinals. So rank these teams one through three. Where do you think and who a team will have the bye in home field throughout the NFC? I believe the Green Bay Packers will eventually end up having the bye because they already have beaten the other two teams uh, that are in that top three hunt. They've already defeated Arizona in Arizona, and they've already defeated the Rams in Green Bay. So by default of that and by default of the fact that uh, – The Bucks are in second seed, my correction. Oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I said, yeah, I haven't played I the said Bucks. The Rams. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right, the, the Bucks. The Bucks. Yeah, the, the Bucks. Excuse me. Yeah, the Bucks, the, the Packers, and the Cardinals. Man, that's going to be tough. I mean, yeah. if you, if you think about race. – the Bucks and the Pack- Packers don't play each other this regular season, do they? They don't. They don't. They don't play. Okay. It, it, it so, would potentially have to be a, a NFC rematch if they were. Okay. 
So yep. by 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 that default, I would give that I would give to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from this perspective. They, <laughs> it's it, it's so hard to maybe to grasp it, but they really do look like probably the most complete team in football, and it's 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 really like fascinating what they're doing because usually. You never see them. They brought everybody back. They have the entire team back. And they're getting every team's best shot, but they're still finding a way to win games and look competitive doing it. You know, it's 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 special what I'm seeing from this Bucks team. But I, w- I would say Bucks and Packers are so neck and neck right now. It's so hard for me to see who, who would get the nod over that one. But the Cardinals will be right behind them because, to me, the Cardinals just have – they have, like, more – I would say talent per se, and more of a complete package around them. But with the quarterback positioning and the the just the the the, the ill-advised plays that Kyler Murray finds himself uh, making sometimes, I trust Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady a little bit more than I do Kyler Murray in those situations. So I would give the nod to the Bucks and Packers. But Seve, it's so hard to pick between those two teams who I would give the nod to at the top of the top. You see, you see what's crazy, Mike. I I think that. You were talking about a team that peaked too early. If did Arizona peak too early? Because if I were to list and rank the NFC, I would say the 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 head honchos of the top tiers of the NFC is the Packers and the Bucks. But yes. if you were to tell me the most scariest teams and dark horse teams that I think if they were to get hot in a wild card situation and make a road to the Super Bowl, I would LA say Rams. I would say Rams or Rams. Dallas Cowboys, just because the Dallas Cowboys they've been battle tested now. We know they haven't been the team that they they were supposed to be. They 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 they're the the franchise Mac that they lack. They hate prosperity. <laughs> they hate prosperity. Yep. The Dallas Cowboys can never. But the thing is, is that this is a team that they're opportunistic on defense. Michael Parsons is 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 that dude, right? We know Trayvon Diggs is is that dude. So they'll turn the ball over, and the more possessions that you give that Prescott and Ezekiel on that offense, they're gonna be able to put up points. So you're gonna have to score thirty on them if they were to manufacture uh, a turnover. So that's the thing about Dallas that I like. They're not the best defense, but they're top two in the NFL in creating turnovers. And the more possessions you give Dak. Sooner or later, he's going to crack you. So if I were to rank those two, I'd say Green Bay and Tampa are top teams in the NFC. But the scariest ones, I'd say Rams and and Dallas Cowboys. And the reasons why I don't put Arizona there is because Kyler Murray's never been in the postseason. Cliff Cliff Kingsbury's never coached in a postseason. And and, and did did the Cardinals, although how talented they are, did they peak too early? Are they or just are they just a regular season team? That's the concern that I have for Arizona. Yeah, I don't I, I don't believe Arizona is just a regular season team. I do feel like the, the the pieces that they have on that team, they run into any team in the playoffs. They're gonna they're gonna be one of those tough outs. Any any one of those teams in the playoffs. Now, is this the year that they get knocked down on they get knocked on their back and uh, and and go through that trial and error uh, uh, situation and get prepared and be more battle tested in the years to come? We'll see. That that's a high possibility. Um, but you're right. This Tampa Bay team and this Green Bay team, man, those those are teams. But you're right about the Rams. The Rams, because coming off a of bye week, those teams, if you look in recent memory, those teams that have a late bye week uh, with about four or five games left into the regular season, those are the teams that usually find a way to get a run and get hot at the right time. With that win that we saw coming off that bye week the Rams had against the Cardinals, you see – you, you you start to see now that, you know, this team, 
it's starting to form itself. Sometimes you need a little break in between the season to form yourself and come together and really, you know, just t- take a step back and realize the moment at hand. And I, I feel like th- this this win against the Cardinals, the way it happened, how dominant in a semi-dominant fashion, how how it happened, that could spearhead a potential run going into the playoffs. And with the roster that they have, we know if you if you if you get this team hot going into the playoffs, that's a scary sight. It is. It is. It's just, it's the worst question to ask you, Mike, as a New York football giant. But talking about the Dallas Cowboys, they went yes. into D.C., your hometown, and they put on a defensive clinic. They put on a defensive clinic. Yes. Michael Parsons, three sacks and another forced fumble and recovery. You had Trayvon Diggs in doing what he does in the back end. They have two guys, Mike, that are in consideration for defensive player of the year. We already know Michael Parsons has wrapped up the defensive rookie of the year. But this defense, as I mentioned, is very opportunistic. And the more possessions they did, they, they put on a clinic in D.C. The offense really hasn't been what it's been. But Dallas, I, I still think this Dallas team, Mike, number one in points in the NFL. They're not to be regarded. I, I still think that they are dangerous in their own way. We know that they haven't had prosperity in the postseason. But what do you think about this Dallas team? What do you think that they need in their chances in the NFC? I, I still need to see more from this team because I'm still – they're so confusing, I don't know what I'm going to get. I mean, because the injury to Tony Pollard really hurts um, right. for, for multiple reasons. Obviously, it gave Zeke a break, but it was like a – he was the he was the uh, opposite play style of what Zeke brought to the table, and I think that combination was really working well and really left defenses off the hook um, for the immediate future with just Zeke being back there and not having that that threat uh, c- coming off the sideline. That's going to be tough for them, and that 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 could hinder their offense as far as running the football to some degree. Um, however, this Cowboys team is is very interesting team because I need to see more from them to see. Whether or not they're gonna um they they're gonna be able to take the throne and take and take over and really compete with those top three teams three or four teams that we just talked about in the NFC because they 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 have all the weapons that we know they have the talent but will they be able to rise up when it's all said and done is the moment gonna be too big for them that that's gonna be the biggest question with the Cowboys and that's something I still have to see I'm 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 so up in the air because it's because of their recent struggles over the last four or five weeks. I need to see a little bit more from the Dallas Cowboys. And they have a big game, divisional game coming up against the Giants on Sunday. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They also have the Cardinals at home. That could shake up things. Oh, yeah. The seed in the NFC if they were to be head-to-head there for sure. Wouldn't we like this, Mike? As it stands, it'd be Rams, the fifth seed, Dallas, the fourth seed. That would be a great wild-card matchup <laughs> in week one, in that wild-card Man. Based on right now, where would it be in Dallas or LA? It would be in Dallas. Yeah, they would be a division winner, so it'd be in Dallas. Yeah. Oh man, that'd be that'd be be a really (laughs) really good one. Last question here in the NFC, if I had for you, Mike. Yes. Uh, uh, Two teams. If I were to say this, the out of these two teams, if they were to win three straight and make a run and represent the NFC, who would it be? These two teams are rounding in the form and getting hot at the right time. The seventh seeded Minnesota Vikings and the sixth seeded. San Francisco 49ers. These two teams are rounding in the form. They're not talked about because there's a lot of great teams in the NFC. They've been playing some of their best brand of football at the right time. If a team were to get hot and the matchups were to be well, depending on where they would go in the NFC, what team out of those two teams would be that? I would give that nod to the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm glad you brought that question up, Sully, because the 49ers just had one of the best games of this weekend against the Cincinnati Bengals. That kind of flew under the radar. That took all the way overtime the last minute or so in overtime to win. 
on a game game winning touchdown throw by Jimmy G. So it, it this this team, the reason why I trust the the 49ers over the Vikings is because I trust the coaching of Kyle Shanahan. I trust the uh the resilience of a Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo. I trust Debo Samuel, what he's done to the table. He's really flying under the radar as one of the top receivers in the league this year. Top overall players because of what they do. It's just, just, just how, how many different ways they use. They him utilize him a lot, right? Oh yeah. man, it's, it's special. So, and the defense is is playing very well, and they're they're getting better and better, especially on that defensive line. So, I would give the nod to the San Francisco 49ers in that regard because of what I've seen from a total package perspective. When it comes to the Minnesota Vikings, I'm going to just be honest. I don't trust Kirk Cousins, and I don't trust this secondary. This secondary for the Minnesota Vikings is brutal. It's very bad. It's giving up a lot of big plays, and they've, they've been one of the downfalls of this team. They've, they've been The Minnesota Vikings have been probably one of the most, if not the most competitive team in the NFL this year, but they've also been one of the most disappointing teams because they haven't been able to find a way to close tight games in the fourth quarter when it's all said and done. Sebi, we don't even realize that they were they were literally a drop pass away from potentially uh from potentially collapsing and blowing a thirty point lead at home on Thursday night football. This team struggles late in games bad. And a lot of it is the uh the coaching, a lot of it is their defense, a lot of it is the quarterback play and and um and making certain plays. So this Minnesota Vikings team has a lot of question marks. I have all the talent in the world and all the competitive nature in the world. However, they really struggle to finish. And San Francisco, because of their experience and because of how they've been winning games lately, I trust them a lot more when it, when it, uh, when it comes to down the stretch. Absolutely. Absolutely. There for sure. Great points there. Before, as we wrap up the NFL portion of our segment today, Urban Meyer, I guess it didn't pan out for him in the NFL, Mike. What's going to be your thoughts on Urban Meyer? This is a guy and a coach, 91-9. and nine. Right, ninety-one and nine at Ohio State, um, a twenty-fifteen national championship with Ezekiel Elliott, Cardell Jones, and those guys. But coming into the NFL hasn't been hasn't been that 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 guy. He's he's lost more games in the pros than he did all at Columbus <laughs> in his stint in Ohio State. I guess sometimes the NFL isn't meant for you. How will Urban Meyer be remembered, Mike? This is one of those situations where it, it takes a certain level of a maturation process, and it has to happen fast. It, it takes a rapid maturation process in order to be able to go from the college game directly to the NFL because it's a different ball game. You can't coach those players or talk to those college players the same way you talk to a grown man and those NFL players. It's an entirely different ball club. Nick Saban had to learn that the hard way a long time ago. So right. Urban, Urban, Meyer, Urban Meyer came into this situation, and he had – he came in, you know, with the same mentality like he's coaching college kids. And right. you saw it on the sideline. You saw it in his demeanor. You saw it in the way he would, uh, he would talk to the players. You heard about it in some of the ripples that he had in the locker room with other coaches and the way he would communicate with them. It just he wasn't carrying himself the way NFL coaches carrying themselves. And it's because he hasn't been in that locker room, that NFL locker room space. He's been, he's been around that college space. And it's a whole different ball game. And you have to understand the difference and be able to mature rapidly, fast. And he wasn't able to make that switch. And you were able to see a drastic uh, drop-off. Not only did Jacksonville not have the, the talent on the field, but they didn't have the requisite coaching to be able to, you know, compete in games and potentially overachieve uh, based on what they're doing right now. So it, it, it's been a mess in Jacksonville on the field, but a lot of that mess on the field is a, is a direct reflection of what you're seeing, of, of the lack of coaching, the lack of maturity at the coaching position from Urban Meyer. And, you know, it's, it, 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 bore, it bore it over. It, it boiled over, and it was it was time for him to get out of there. This might be the best thing for Jacksonville. Now they can start fresh and get somewhere else. But as far as Urban Meyer is concerned, he didn't adjust well enough 
to the, the, the maturation process of becoming an NFL head coach over a college head coach. These are yeah. grown men we're talking about here, and you got to coach them a certain way, and he didn't do that. Yeah, absolutely, there for sure, and it happens, Mike, right? There's only been a, f- a selected few college coaches that's been really good. You talk about Jimmy Johnson, what he did in Miami in the U in the 80s, going to the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s, but he had Emmitt Smith. He had uh, 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 Troy Aikman. He also had Michael Irvin, right? So it's kind of a little bit different. And then Pete Carroll is the other guy. His great success in USC, Matt Leiner, Carson Palmer, Reggie Bush, and then coming to the pros in Seattle, Legion of Boom early on with Russell Wilson. So sometimes you have to have talent. And Urban Meyer had talent in Ohio State, doesn't really have that in Jacksonville opposite of of Trevor Lawrence. And so it it happens. Even the great Nick Saban, (laughs) it didn't pan out for him in Miami in 04. He wanted... He wanted to draft Dante Culpepper. They got him. They passed up on Drew Brees. It happens, Mike. So if 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 Nick Saban failed, it's okay because Nick Saban is cemented as arguably, if not the greatest college coach of all time. And I would put Urban in that conversation there as well, um, with some of the greats there. What he did in in Florida, also Nevada, and and, and Ohio State there as well. Three national titles too. But it, it's okay, Mike. Not all college great uh, coaches pan out in the pros. And I think it's okay. If Nick Saban failed, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's definitely not. And uh, who knows? I'm sure he'll get a, I'm sure he'll get other college teams looking at him potentially um, to, 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 come on, to come on that team. But, uh, yeah, it just didn't work out with Jacksonville. And who knows? Maybe uh, over time, if he, in a couple of years or so now he gets another shot with another team, maybe he gets a second chance to, to, to reconcile and, and then do right with another squad. But right now, it just wasn't the right time, and it boiled over, and um, it, uh, Jacksonville made the right move. Yeah, he'll have another shot, Mike. He'll have either at another school or program in the collegiate game, or he'll probably join Reggie Bush and the guy in college football on Fox. Hey. He'll have a job somewhere, Mike. Uh, uh, Coach Urban Meyer, uh, that's a guy that we shouldn't have to worry about getting a job anywhere else. But speaking of Urban Meyer and Nick Saban and all those college stuff, Bowmania is back in the top four is revealed, Mike. Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, and rounding out a surprise in Cincinnati. We'll go ahead and we'll talk about that next. The Steady Podcast Radio Show live and streaming here on WNSC Radio. Bearcats and also the Alabama Crimson Dye Mike. And then a two-three matchup. That should be very good. Michigan and Georgia. <laughs> first first team to 17 might might win that ball game. Defense, defense, defense. That's gonna be a great, great, great showcase there. Um what's your thoughts on that? Sebby, I didn't I didn't I I'll tell you what, man. I was I was um I was very intrigued with the top four. I didn't I didn't care on uh, I wasn't mad at the top four. The only thing I didn't want in this top four, I did not want to see Cincinnati play Alabama in the first matchup. That's the only thing I did not want to see. And lo and behold, that's exactly what we got. I mean, I'm not saying Cincinnati's not not capable of winning, but it's just like when Alabama, when Nick Saban has almost a month to prepare for you, 
that's usually a recipe for disaster. And we've seen this rodeo before. I wanted to see Cincinnati go against one of the other teams early and Alabama go against one of the, the, the other teams like Michigan or Georgia potentially first before they went to the national championship. Because I feel like whoever comes out of that Georgia-Michigan game will have a, a, a slight advantage over whoever comes out of um, potentially Alabama if they come out of that Cincinnati game because they'll be more battle-tested and ready for that game, in my opinion. And that's going to be a key factor for me. And that that that, that was key to me because um, I like Michigan or Georgia um, coming out. But Alabama, uh, I expect them to take care of Cincinnati. And between Georgia and Michigan, it's going to be a dogfight. But I I find I find myself believing that Michigan will find a way to pull it out because of how deep of a team they really are, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Aiden Hutchinson will go down as one of the top defensive players, potentially taken out of next year's draft. And he's playing like one of the top defensive linemen in uh, college football, especially in the Big Ten this year. Yes, absolutely. There for sure. Mike, no, no. He will be the number one overall pick guy. <laughs> he will be. It's a guy that has 16 sacks, Mike, <laughs> and also 14 tackle for losses. I mean, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. He will be the number one overall pick. I'm claiming that and stamping that. Now you heard it from uh, me. First, Aiden Hutchinson. Is is really that dude? I thought he should have won the Heisman. He got sacked. So that that's that's how I felt. But okay. of course, the greatness of Brighton Bryce Young. He's he's a special talent as well out there in Alabama. But yes, I agree with you, Mike. The Bearcats, they're really good. They 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 are really good and as advertised. And I like what Luke Fickle, their head coach, said. Mike, he said something that was very good. He said that it's always been us against the world mentality, and the world is Alabama. And we're ready for it. I, I thought that he couldn't have said that better. I think Desmond Ritter as their quarterback is somebody that's very, very underrated. Good. Very yeah. good. Very underrated. He doesn't have the, the strong arm that Bryce Young has, but deadly accurate. And, and Cincinnati will be ready for this game. Now, my only concern is this. It's always in the trenches when you're going up against Alabama. You know, this isn't Houston or UCF or Tulsa that you're going up against. Mike, this is guys on the front, exactly. front line. They're going to be able to probably run the football, and they're going to be able to uh, – and, and defensively, they're going to be able to apply pressure against a very light, you know, Cincinnati, you know, offensive line. So uh, Cincinnati defensively have to come ready because they if they start getting 10, 8 yards per carry and start demoralizing on that front, it's going to be a long night for them. But – this is a team that thinks and believes, Mike. This is David and Goliath, and we're going to be able to beat Alabama. And this is going to be a very, very interesting matchup there for sure. But I'm excited for Michigan and Georgia. That, that, that's that's going to be the game right there, Mike. Defense, 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 defense. That is going to be defense personified. When it's all said and done, Mike, who do you think will be the national champion in this year's uh, college football playoffs? Roll Tide. I don't see nobody beating Alabama. I see that I see it being a very competitive competitive game potentially if Alabama goes against Michigan or Georgia because um Georgia is going to want some want some get back off of the SEC championship game in Michigan Michigan is um if they were able to advance to the championship they're going to be playing with such supreme confidence that uh it's going to it's it's, it's going to draw up a draw up a, a heck of a game plan for them so I was I would still give the nod to Alabama, no matter which team they had to face because of Nick Saban, because of 
this team and they're coming, them coming together. And plus, I feel like they've really found a spark. It's going to be tough without Michi. I, will, I do want to see what this Alabama team looks like offensively, how fluid they look like without their best wide receiver. But they have so many weapons like outside of him, like Jamison Williams, and then they're just running game, this solid running game. I, I want to see um, – I still feel like they'll find a way to take it home and, and, and lock in. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Mike. I think the Crimson Tide and Nick Saban win his eighth national championship. I think it will be Michigan rather than Georgia this time. Gotcha. Michigan will be able to run the football um, uh, very well with their star running game, uh, but they'll be able to run the football and get past Georgia. That's going to be a defensive matchup. But in the end, I think Alabama is going to be too much – and the national championship game for them to hurl around, and it will be with a. But we got to give some credit to Jim Harbaugh, Mike. Jim oh, yeah. Harbaugh. This is a guy that everybody said that couldn't get past Ohio State. He was 0-5 against Ohio State. He got his first win, and defensively and offensively, he built his teams on the trenches. You can look at the history of Jim Harbaugh everywhere, Mike. What he did in Fort, in San Francisco where he was there for those three years. He got to a Super Bowl, and he went to three straight NFC Championship games with Colin Kaepernick. What were the best things about that um, uh, uh, San Francisco team? They were great defensively, led by Patrick Willis and some of those great guys that they had defensively. And then offensively, they were excellent on in the front. That led um, Colin Kaepernick and that running game with Frank Gore to be so successful and one of their great offensive line in Joe Staley. You look at the entire resume of Jim Harbaugh. We, he loves the trenches, dominate up front, dominate defensively, and that's how he built his teams. And, boy, did he make Michigan formidable this year um, up front. So uh, I think that is some kudos to Jim. Yeah, 100%. Jim Harbaugh has done very well, and uh, especially this season, his ability to shape this team. And I respect his ability to be patient when everybody – Outside of him was trying to, you know, um, rush rush his process and push his plan. He continued to stay patient and stay form and form this team together. They went through ups and downs, trial and error, injuries, overtime, and they they finally were able to put it all together and build a team like this. And then now look where they are. They're they're right there in the hunt hunt of things. And he very well could have saved his job with that win against Ohio State as well. So absolutely, and, absolutely. So it was uh, hats off to Jim Harbaugh, man. He's he's a resilient brother. These Harbaugh's are resilient, ain't they, Savvy? Yeah, they are. They are. They 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 are. They are. They are. They they've got guts, Mike. That's something for sure. These Harbaugh's have guts there as well. This is the time of the Mike, folks, where Mike makes his closing arguments for today's episode. Mike, it's your time. It's your stage. You're in Broadway. Take it away. Yes, yeah, Savvy. I want to talk about depth in the NBA, and that that's the biggest topic I want to talk about because the formula for success that a lot of GMs and a lot of the top teams in the league have been able to, you know, overcome and offset a long regular season and a grueling playoff run is depth on the, is depth on the roster. Um, is depth, on the, depth on the NBA roster does, more, does multiple things. Not only does it help you throughout a regular season when your superstar might go down or certain players might go down, you have other rotational pieces to go to to continue to fill in those shoes and keep, and keep, the, uh, keep the train rolling. You have, you have uh, certain teams out here that have emphasized that emphatically this season. Uh, and for for one, you have the Memphis Grizzlies. Without John Moran over the last almost ten games or so, they they won nine of their last ten. They look fluid. It's because of the the depth that they have in the Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Baines, the uh, you know certain guys like that. This this team is very deep. Slow mo, Kyle. It's uh, 
especially what I'm seeing in Memphis. The Phoenix Suns, when Devin Booker's out, they're able to win tough games because of the depth that they have on this team. Uh, the, L- the L.A. Clippers, the depth that they have, they're able to win games without Kawhi Leonard. Utah, and Golden Paul, State, Mike. And without yep. Paul George. Uh, they're able to win games because of the depth. This is a very deep basketball team in the Clippers. I'm going to say this before I continue my point. This Clippers team, I'm going to say this. This team is even better than the team was last year. This Clippers team should have went to the finals last year if Kawhi Leonard didn't get hurt. This Clippers team is even better last year than they were this year on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. This is without Kawhi Leonard. If Kawhi Leonard was to find a way to come back this season, get some regular season games under him before the playoffs is over, and they were able to stay relatively healthy, the West is in trouble. Remember I said that, Sebi. The West is in trouble if Kawhi Leonard finds a way to come back because with the depth of this team, the coaching on this team, we're looking we're looking at the Clippers blowing the entire West open potentially with the, with 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 how good they are. That's how special this Clippers team is from a depth perspective. But what GMs have realized is not only does it help to go through a regular season, a, reg- a grueling regular season, and a playoffs if you if you run into injuries, but it also adds value to the team because you're able to your ability to trade. Uh, to make quality trades, to bring in a, a certain star at the right time when you feel like a moment is there to potentially capture a championship and really maximize your potential. So depth has been the biggest quantifying factor because there have been a lot of injuries in this league so far this season, Sabi, to big stars and things like that. But what you've seen is you've seen a lot of teams being able to stay afloat and still find a different way to win games because of the rotational players and because of the the confidence that's been inspired amongst these guys around them. So GMs have realized that depth is the key to those teams. And if you're looking for those, if you're looking at those teams on the basketball standpoint, that are, are are wondering why is Memphis playing so well without John? Why are the Clippers playing so well without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? Why is it that the, the Suns still find a way to win these games without Devin Booker? Why are they doing it? It's because the depth on these teams, the the rosters that these GMs and these teams are implementing. Are, are are quality enough to where they can spell for the injuries throughout the regular season. You heard it first here, folks, from Mike there as well and some of the great things that he said here today. You make some really valid points. You did not lie. You made some really, 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 really valid in that stance there as well. But, folks, that wraps up this week's show. For our, myself and Michael Gray, we want to say so long. Hey, everyone, we're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show and, frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. SebiPodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, The Sebi Podcast is wherever you go.